0: analytics with mike lewis the podcast where we talk about everything you need to know about sports analytics here's your host mike lewis marketing professor at emory university okay welcome everyone this is the fanalytics podcast with mike lewis of emory university and doug battle also of emory university how are you today doug
1: i am doing well uh i thought this week's episode of the mandalorian was the best yet so that helped to compensate for the fact that georgia's football game was canceled because vanderbilt had a number of players opt out over the sarah fuller story
0: okay i want to get back to that in a second i am still efforting to catch up with you on the mandalorian i am almost done with season one so you can kind of tell where i'm at it is a fascinating show for someone that was a child of the 70s. I'll, I'll give you that much. Um, the, the episode I last watched has, I mean, it's great. It's all these kind of throwbacks to the the original series of movies. So I'm looking forward to catching up and sort of really digging into that. Last episode I actually watched had Bill Burr as a Trigger Man, which I thought was interesting. Which tells you exactly where I'm at in that series.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, well, you've got a lot to look forward to. I really, really like what they're doing there. Um, also, the guy that directed this last episode, because there's a different director for almost every episode, and uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a movie guy, but the, the director, when it was rolling the credits at the end, was Robert Rodriguez, who I remember, because I was a Spy Kids kid, was the director of the spy kids franchise. That that was and when I was a kid, like I thought he was like Steven Spielberg. Like I thought he was the GOAT with directing movies because I thought those were the best movies in the world. So I was like no surprise that he did a great job.
0: Okay. So I, I wanna do today's episode a little bit different. I wanna dig into I want to dig into the Sarah Fuller story, and mm-hmm. I also want to spend some time talking about the Savage Pads podcast. But I, I, I want to say something that, and I don't know what this statement really means at this point, but as I was watching ESPN this morning, they were previewing the Big Ten ACC Challenge. And I think I think this is 22 years of this, which is an, an interesting number. It kind of makes me feel my age. <laughs> so this is a series that's been going on essentially your whole life, but it's something that still kind of seems new to me. And, and one of the games they previewed in this, this statement, you know, this is a personal thing, but I think it's important about just the notion of fandom. Number five, Illinois, is playing number six, Duke. Makes me question a lot. Um, you know, in, in the past, number five, Illinois, playing number six, Duke, would have been my biggest sports story of the month. But somehow, with the last few years of Illinois basketball, and and I think there's even something more to it. that If, if I think about what that means, if th- this Illinois team is ranked number five, legitimate Final Four contender, but it does not feel like it's a team at the same level yeah. as the Flying Illini or the... D Brown, Darren Williams teams.
1: Yeah, well, first off, Mike, want to congratulate you on pulling for a team that's still in the hunt. Um, <laughs> I guess I technically am in that in that position with the New York Giants, as their Super Bowl hopes are still alive. The lead leading the NFC East. Let's,
0: let's yeah, let's worry about division championship first. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, but yeah, college basketball to me has been over the years, over the more recent years, it's felt like that. It's felt like. When I like when I was a kid, I pulled for UNC, uh, Tyler Hansbrough, Ty Lawson, Wayne Ellington, and I even went to a UNC tournament game a, a few years back. Um, and it just it doesn't feel like the basketballs is as good. It doesn't feel, and I I think it's because there's not the continuity. Um, so from a branding sense, like yeah, you don't have the same players every year, which is tough because like I felt a connection to Tyler Hansbrough and and. Wayne Ellington and Ty Lawson. Um, whereas now, it's like you got to learn a new group of names every single season just about for some of these elite programs. Um, and then not having that continuity, obviously, they, they don't play as well together. Um, and and that's the best teams in basketball. I mean, that's Duke and Kentucky and UNC, the teams that, that get the best players um, tend to be in that position. So college basketball is a tough one to me. Another thing about it uh, that has nothing to do with personnel is the fact that for these elite programs, I always am of the opinion that regular season games don't matter that much um, due to the nature of the NCAA tournament. Cause you look at a team like Duke going into a game against Illinois. um, Like, yeah, it's a, it's a top 10 matchup, no doubt. And that's exciting. But if you know, it's, it might end up being the difference in Duke getting a one seed or a two seed. But does it really matter? Like, at the end of the day, all that matters for a team that's essentially guaranteed a spot in the tournament um, that's just so talented that they're definitely going to win enough games to make the tournament, all that matters is those tournament games. They could go undefeated. Doesn't matter if they go lose round one. Um, or they could go, you know, be a 13 seed, which really isn't possible, But um, and, and make it to the final four.
0: Okay, so I got to object to something you said in there. You, you mostly talked about Duke and all that, and the ramifications on their quest for a number one scene. Maybe you didn't hear me. Number five, <laughs> Illinois versus number six. I got gotcha. you, Duke. Okay, I got gotcha. you. I, just to I, just to
1: clarify that, I was using Duke as uh, the brand that I, I felt the audience would. Come on, you know,
0: you know, and I guess what I'm getting at, in all this is, can you please help me build my excitement? You know, let me let me get back to this earlier era of living and dying with, with, with Illinois basketball, please. Thank you. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, first off, they, they kind of surprised me. Like they snuck up on me. I watched uh, some of their first game and I was like, wow, this, this is Mike's team and they're really good. And like, I haven't heard a peep about them uh, in a while. So it's, it's one of those things where all you do hear about is Teams like Duke and UNC, even when on Sports Center, when they're showing highlights, like they definitely show every game of Duke and UNC highlights. Uh, whereas a team like Illinois, you know, mm-hmm. is it, not a priority as much.
0: Well, I'm going to fire up the home theater and put the Illini Bass, you know, I've been watching it from upstairs, but yeah. five versus six, Duke, I'm going to, and unfortunately, the game seems to be at Duke, uh, but I will fire up the big screen for this one. Okay. The other, the other thing that, The other event that I sort of love at the moment, and it's kind of a guilty pleasure, you texted me, and then I saw it also reported pretty widely. Logan, so sorry. Logan Paul, yeah. Okay. One of the Paul brothers (laughs) is going to fight Floyd Mayweather this, uh, was it February? Yes, I believe,
1: 2021.
0: So we have our first marquee boxing match, our first marquee boxing match of 2021 on the schedule, and it is Floyd Mayweather versus a YouTube star.
1: Yeah, we talked about this last week. Like, is this going to be what becomes of boxing as far as is this going to be what draws ratings and makes money? And apparently, uh, to an extent, yes, at least for the near future. The interesting thing about it is everybody thinks it's a joke. Like people are like, "Oh, this is this is a joke," but most people I know want to watch the thing. Like they want to see. At this point, they want to see Logan Paul get knocked out uh, by a real boxer.
0: Well, let me ask you this: Does Logan Paul play the villain in all these things?
1: Here's the thing: I don't keep up with YouTubers, or uh, I think. I know I am young but I'm not that young. Like I'm not I'm not keeping up with guys that get famous off of uh you know making little vlogs and, and things like okay, that. Okay, do
0: nature. you have a uh, sorry to interrupt you. Do you have a TikTok account?
1: Um not at the moment, although I will say Snapchat. I do have a Snapchat. Yes. I am, okay. yeah, yeah. Um Yeah. But Logan Paul, I don't know that much about him. I know there's been controversy. I know there's people that like him, people that don't like him. Uh, Tends to be like the formula for a good celebrity these days. Um, But Mayweather's been the villain. We talked about this last week. Nobody likes Mayweather. So it's like you got Darth Vader versus the Joker in the ring um, where it's like, yeah, one's actually powerful and the other one's like just kind of a nuisance. But at the same time, uh, and I don't want to. I don't want to give either one of them that kind of credit because I don't like. I don't like them enough to compare them to Darth Vader or the Joker. Those guys are awesome.
0: Okay, fair enough. Now just to go back to something you said, you do not have a TikTok account at the moment.
1: Well, yeah. Let me clarify there. <laughs> uh, this weekend, my girlfriend helped me move some things out of my apartment where or my house where i've been living uh where i've been leasing and it was a huge help because she has a vehicle <laughs> that will carry more stuff and so my mother told me she said when you're done you need to do whatever she wants to do because she's being a trooper and she's being a big help and so i was like oh awesome and i mentioned that to her kind of jokingly well next thing you know we're making essentially a TikTok dance video <laughs> okay okay so i'm gonna make a request here that when we when we put this
0: uh when we put the article up for the podcast we'll include two images one of it one of which will be a screenshot from the tiktok
1: dance place uh mike unfortunately it's on my instagram story which disappears after 24 hours and so it is already come and gone that's the beauty of stories it's the beauty of stories it's not permanent
0: Okay, so moving ahead to sort of the the core of this episode, Paul Mayweather is, you know, it's great fun. So, you know, I have no idea, uh, given how he has been discussed and the fact that he was on this Mike Tyson card, I'm going to guess that Logan Paul has followers in the tens of
1: millions. So let me correct you here. Logan Paul was not on the Mike Tyson card. Jake Paul was on the Mike Tyson card. Logan Paul got knocked out or lost to KSI. You remember this? We we touched on this like yeah, yeah. months ago. So he's... Jake Paul's uh, undefeated, I believe, technically. And Logan Paul is not. Um, he is the lesser younger brother. And he decided it would be a good idea to fight Floyd Mayweather. Okay.
0: So let me restate. No editing required on this. Paul... <laughs> is i and i will just say paul, Chris paul from this moment forward probably has do you have any sense of the magnitude of his uh fan base uh,
1: tens of millions i feel like i looked up his instagram the other day and yeah that's okay maybe yeah I, w- I would say that's fair
0: so the hype machine is it's ready to go on this right you've got mayweather he's gonna he's gonna generate all sorts of coverage the The business model just works. You've got Mayweather appealing to the old school fight fans. He's still probably the biggest name in boxing. He is, you know, he's he, he knows how to do the hype. He's going to talk trash for, for months now. Uh, Paul has a ready-made audience where he can distribute this to a very different demographic. It it's a promotion that has a lot of the right ingredients now i think the frustration is that you you ask the question of does this destroy the credibility or the authenticity of boxing is is this fight going to go 9 rounds where mayweather kind of Plays with him for the first eight, and then hits him a couple of times after he loses his legs, and the ref stops it as a TKO. TKO, right? I mean, that probably the likely outcome, something like that. Yeah. Give the fans their money.
1: I've seen. I have seen a few tweets of people saying if uh, if Floyd Mayweather gets knocked out by a YouTube sensation or a YouTube star. I don't know if "sensation" is the right word for someone. He's just a like. I think. Girls think he's good looking. Guys don't like him. That's kind of his thing. Um,
0: if, pull up, if Pull up a video of Floyd Mayweather working a heavy bag. He's not going to be knocked
1: out. Oh, I know. I know kid. that. Yeah. And I'm saying yeah. like the intrigue to yeah. a lot of people my age is like, oh, what if he got knocked out by this kid? <laughs> um, but it's like saying, what if you put me out on the court with, with LeBron James and I dunked on him? You know, it, it's it's like, yeah, that'd be awesome. The problem is... Um, yeah, I play basketball, too, or I played in my day, you know, but it's it's just people don't understand the difference in <laughs> athletes as far as the elite professionals as opposed to amateurs. Um, I'm not going to dunk on LeBron. Logan Paul's not going to knock out uh, Mayweather. Mayweather's going to do what he wants. So it's like if he wants it to be a eight-round fight, like, he can do that. We, we've talked about it before. He's a defensive boxer. Um, so we might just watch him dodge punches for eight rounds or however many rounds he wants it to be before he ends things. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, a, you know, it's an exhibition event. So I don't know how seriously he actually takes it. I know, though, that he will make a show out of it, that he will talk smack, that he will stick his nose right next to uh, Logan Paul's when they do their little photo and weigh-ins or whatnot. Um, but I also know that if it'll be at his will, it'll be like LeBron James versus me at basketball. Like if he wants to dunk on me the first point, if we're playing a 21, he'll do it. Um, if he wants to make it a game, he'll do that also. So it's, it's kind of in Floyd Mayweather's, um, it's kind of up to him in that sense.
0: Okay. So this, uh, the word that, like I said, comes to my mind when I think about this fight and look, I'm. Subject to the hype too. Yeah, look, I want to see it. I want to see Floyd Mayweather. Floyd Mayweather put Paul down. That this word of authenticity and this this has been uh, a, a kind of a key thought in my head for the last week as the Sarah Fuller coverage continued. Mm-hmm. Now, last week I went off, or didn't really go off, but sort of talked about how I hate the story, and and so the story has evolved in an interesting way, in an interesting kind of twenty twenty way. Oh yeah. In that there is still all sorts of glowing media coverage. I think she was at uh, the Titans game. I've seen New York Times articles, ESPN articles. So there, there is still this narrative that is out there that she has broken a glass ceiling, that this is inspirational, et cetera, et cetera. In parallel to that, looking at things on Twitter or on YouTube, there is a there, there's a counter narrative going on, oh, yeah. which is that this was pure hype, and that it was sort of a bit of a joke. So you've got this kind of, again, this sort of the strangeness of the media environment, where kind of the official, the mainstream, the folks with the really big platforms are endlessly praising this this event, and the other side of it is endlessly trashing the event. <laughs> Now, the the one thing that sort of stuck with me in all this was the report that she delivered a halftime
1: speech. Have you seen that? Yes. I, I'm actually like I followed it pretty closely this week because as a Georgia fan, it felt as though our game was contingent upon enough Vanderbilt players wanting to play. So I, I needed to kind of know if we were going to have a game. And even for my podcast, it was like, do we make an episode or do we assume there won't be a game because of this whole Sarah Fuller thing and what's going on with the players at Vanderbilt?
0: Okay, so you alluded to it earlier on. So there were reports. I, I can't find any official reports that players opted out Yeah, it was due to Sarah Fuller. I've seen a lot that players opted out.
1: Right. The due to Sarah Fuller part was twitter reporting uh, but it wasn't by fans it was by reporters on twitter and <laughs> even on uh some of the fan um forums but by the reporters who post those articles and so it was on the paid sites it was not in the mainstream media it was not a really a public story in that sense um, and i don't know yeah you know, it's one of those things i don't know i don't know any of the vanderbilt players I don't know if that's why. I would suspect, based on the facts, um, the nature of the story and the situation at Vanderbilt, that there are a number of factors, and that certainly is a contributing factor that, that had something to do with it. Um, there's also the fact that Vanderbilt's coach was fired last week. So you got these guys that are recruited to play for this man, and uh, the team, you know, the school has no allegiance to him, and so they, they feel like they have no allegiance to the school. And then you have this whole situation with Sarah Fuller, um, where maybe she was brought in, like like Derek Mason was saying because students were sent home for Thanksgiving. Uh, they had to do someone that had essentially been in the COVID bubble because of the COVID outbreak there. Um, they had to look, you know, there's not a men's soccer team, and they got creative, got a girl from the girls soccer team. Again, this is the story, this isn't my opinion on what happened. Um, and so maybe that was what happened and she played. And players felt disrespected by, I, I mean, I saw articles along the lines of like, this is what Vanderbilt was missing. Like she gave this halftime speech telling them they needed to be more peppy on the sideline and players. This is, you know, Vanderbilt's football players don't have any leadership and she's the leader that they needed and things like that. And I, I could definitely see guys being like, um, no, <laughs> but you're making us look like losers to, to, to hype up this girl you know she got SEC player of the SEC um, special teams player of the week and all she did was kick a squib kick um, which was obviously kind of a handout of a award. and it's weird that I have to hesitate to say that because it's it's just obvious um, and it, it is what it is it's you know for, for, mm-hmm. if you're saying let's be equal here and treat people equally And then you give one person an award just for being out there (laughs) and no one else. And and you're kind of demeaning the rest of the team uh, because of this one player um, and the fact that this one player is a different gender than the rest of the team. I I think certainly I could understand some players on that team feeling like, hey, this is not a good situation. This isn't what I signed up for, uh, especially without Coach being here. And I'm going to opt out. So I think we'll find out though, because like they rescheduled that game. So the season's not over for Vanderbilt. So it's like they got to have enough players to play, play a game. Um, and we don't know at the moment if they will, like even when everyone's back from COVID, if they've had enough people opt out. And not, not to mention they're playing a top 10 team in Georgia that's going to wax them almost undoubtedly.
0: Well, okay. So the thing that stuck with me in this whole Story now, and and you've kind of you've kind of alluded to it indirectly, in, in terms of your description of what happened, and I think your description of what happened is probably dead on in terms of the the feelings of the the players. Yeah, I, I when people study, but this sort of the analysts, uh, my you know something that caught my analytical eye in all this, and uh, you know, and for you budding sports analytics folks out there sometimes it's it's helpful to go beyond just the math, be more than a statistician, no more than Python and the latest machine learning algorithm to actually understand the psychology of what is driving a lot of a lot of what we see in sports. And so in, in this case, the way you describe that is th- there seems to almost have been kind of an effort to, Use her to create a story, an inspirational story for the Vanderbilt football team, right? That you're going to bring her in, she's going to give this speech at halftime, everyone's going to get fired up, and you know it's like a Disney movie, right? <laughs> you yeah. you fi- you find this you find this kicker on on a, on a woman's team, you bring her in, everyone's fired up, and now Vanderbilt's going to run the table. Okay. No, not not so much. And, and so then the question is, why does this effort at, you know, the key word for this, why does this effort at persuasion fail? Persuasion tends to happen along sort of one of two paths. So one path is the idea of, and I'm going to, you know, do this kind of briefly. One path is the idea of source credibility. The other path is based on expertise. And it really depends on who the audience is. And so the idea of expertise might be that the person giving the halftime speech is a football expert, and they're going into the details of, you know, we might be down, but we've looked at how they are, you know, the, the zone coverage they're playing, and we have a plan to to beat this team, mm-hmm. okay? And that's for the, you know, as you might expect, sort of the the people with a lot of knowledge of the game, kind of the football PhDs. The analytical football players that can understand that and move forward. The other side of it, you know, I was I was trying to think of the right example, and I came up with the idea of, well, why do they use Tom Selleck to sell reverse mortgages to older folks? It would, Doug, do you know who Tom Selleck I would say is? it would
1: I would <laughs> I would be better at answering this question if I knew who Tom Selleck was.
0: So Tom Selleck was Magnum. And Tom Selleck has been in, ai don't know, some show about Boston cops called Blue Bloods. Mm. So he is someone that has been on the television screen of the people he's selling to for decades. So he's a trusted figure. He has source credibility. And so for, let's say, the, the low knowledge or the low involvement kind of audience, the key to persuasion is having someone with credibility. Okay. Does Sarah Fuller fit in? either of those paths.
1: No, um, she does not. And that's a, uh, that's a huge issue clearly for, for the Vanderbilt players. Uh, looking at it, I don't see, here's my thing. I, my personal opinion is I don't think these players would be quitting the team or opting out of the season. It's the same thing to me. Um, uh, if, if Sarah Fuller came in, kicked her squib kick, did her best, Helped, you know, tried to contribute as best she could for a week until they could fill the position, and that was that. It's it's the whole hoopla around it. Um, It's her getting the post game interview after a a forty plus point loss and speaking as if something great had been accomplished. Um, It's her giving a halftime speech and people reporting as if. If only the rest of the team had the courage she had and the leadership she had, they they would have won the game or something along those lines. Uh, it's the way it's being covered and and the the hoopla surrounding it. And so I think I think her stepping into that position. Um, I again, I don't really have a criticism of her like trying to be a leader. Uh, I I personally wouldn't have done it, but I understand that she is. A leader in her sport and she's used to doing that kind of thing and that's what she felt like where she could contribute to the team um but again it's it's the, the storylines that are being portrayed and and the way the rest of these players are kind of it's like this team of losers where they brought in a girl to show them how it's done and that's how, how it's being how the story's being written. And they're like, no, we're we're not a team of losers. That's not how this works. And okay, like we're okay. we're not gonna play along with this.
0: Can I make a point? I've seen that movie. It was called Little Giants. <laughs> yeah, but, I've know, seen I, it
1: and it was called Airbud. And you had okay. the dog. <laughs> yeah. The dog came in and was the one that, that got everybody playing. <laughs> okay.
0: Um but I, I think you know we're we're totally in sync on this and so you know part of the issue is and this it's come back to this lack of authenticity in terms of the realness of what the coverage is about because it's almost the equivalent of if after the 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 fight between Mayweather and Paul was scheduled if somehow Paul ended up on ESPN or Ring Magazine or one of the other pound for pound lists right that suddenly Paul was ranked in the top 10 in whatever weight class these guys are fighting, I, you know, yeah. I, I don't even think there's a weight class in something like this. No. But <laughs> that, that if, if suddenly the New York Times and ESPN and Sports Illustrated and the Washington Post were writing glowing articles about Logan Paul and making him out to be a a legitimate contender, and yeah, I think if he were the
1: 2020 boxer of the year. Yeah. After losing the it's, KSI, who's a fellow YouTube star, apparently I don't really know who that is, but I, I read that name several times.
0: But yeah, you know, but it, it, at the end of the day, the the Sarah Fuller story lacks some authenticity, and that is kind of a killer for sports moving forward. If you want to be if you want to be taken seriously,
1: yeah. So my favorite thing about the Sarah Fuller story is the fact that it was covered as a hero, heroic story up until she played um after she played it was spun in that way even though there wasn't that turnaround after the halftime speech and there wasn't that kick that changed the game or that field goal that finally put points on the board or even won the game there was none of that none of those things that they that the storyline needed um to be that movie storyline and and it was still covered as if that were the case um everyone just kind of went along and, and pretended as if something along those lines had happened and the reality is um apparently and again this is something that has been reported by legitimate reporters on things like twitter and uh, on paid, you know rival sites and in sports forums uh, but there have not been public articles about at least not many um apparently this is something that led to division on the team that ended up costing them a game as far as a game that could have been played by seniors and one of their last games um as a team and as a college football player and so that is not being reported it's like it was kind of the story was kind of dropped as soon as the heroic storyline it's like we kind of we kind of covered it to that point and when we realized it might backfire uh, we weren't gonna cover the backfire. that That's kind of how I feel it's been treated. Mm-hmm. And it, I think it'll continue to be a story because this is a team that's gonna return to the field. Um, if she's not on that team, uh, there's the one story where you've got a group of men who refused to play with a girl and forced her off the team, and it's a whole you know sexism still alive. Storyline. <laughs> um and on the flip side if she goes out there and plays and there's enough guys that play then we start to question okay were were these opt-outs truly due to her or were they due to covid you know guys that have been out with covid um the fact that the coach isn't there things of that nature and so i mean we'll find out the truth in that sense down the road it's just it's just interesting to me that it's like it's only going to be covered if if it's one way and if it's not like it's it's a no-go
0: and i think that's Good summary of this. I mean, and that's kind of, I think, both of our, at least my frustration, I won't speak for anyone on this, is that it seems like there is a, there's a train rolling on this narrative and they're going to keep running with it regardless of (laughs) what reality looks like. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. The the last thing I want to do today is I want to talk to you, I want to almost switch to interview mode here and talk a little bit about well, I want to talk about your podcast and sort of, you know, what what it's been like to run a well. As a starting point, so what is your podcast and what exactly do you cover? Yeah, on your. Uh,
1: um, so it's called the Savage Pads Podcast. People that aren't Georgia fans are always like Wait, the what? Um, the Savage Pads are the celebratory pads, like the Georgia turnover chain, essentially that the players put on their shoulders after forcing a turnover. The first season they started doing that was the 2017 season when Georgia made the Rose Bowl. Um, most Georgia fans' favorite season in, in their lifetimes as far as fans my age. I was a student. I was a member of the Spike Squad. We actually... we It's a group of students that paint up and they wear those pads every game. But they actually... The team adopted that from the students. Um, and so it was kind of the connection between the students and the players in my mind. And so I named the... Uh, I named the podcast, or between the fans and the players, I named the podcast the Savage Pads Podcast because this is a podcast where we're connecting the the fans and the players, the people who follow the team um, intensely or have just as much weight as the people who contribute to the team or have contributed to the team. Um, but both are voices and both are very important. Um, and so every week we'll have on, and I say we, it's, it's just me. Every week I'll have on um, Georgia fans, but I'll also have on uh, famous players such as David Pollock um, from ESPN or uh, some guys in the NFL, McCall Hardman, Thomas Davis, uh, Benjamin Watson, guys of that nature. And we will discuss all things Georgia football with players. We'll discuss their careers. Um, we'll also discuss games coming up. Many of them are fans at this point. And again, it's that connection between fans and players where the players when they're not players anymore, become fans. And it's like they're one of us now. Um, and that, that's something that comes up almost every episode is the fact that they're like, Man, watching these games on TV, I now see why everyone's as crazy as they are. Uh so that's the podcast and and that's what I've been doing. And obviously in the, the COVID year, it's it's been a really interesting uh situation with lots of ups and downs as far as numbers and um as far as sponsors and all the rest.
0: Well, let me you know, let me interject something mm-hmm. just for a second. So this is this is one of the reasons why I uh, brought you into the analytics fold, right? right. That um, In some ways, what I do is it's a very analytical look at sports fandom, and what you do is kind of a... Uh, a more of a real world look at it um you know in some ways i'm i'm doing i'm studying fandom as a statistician or as a psychologist you're studying it as an anthropologist or as a journalist in a way and that you're 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 living with the tribe of georgia sports fans Mm -hmm. so you've been running the show for how many years now this
1: is my third season so i started uh the year after i graduated i wanted to i wanted to stay connected to to football in some capacity
0: yeah, I'll, I'll tell you, living down here in Georgia, it is one of the fascinating things to me is the absolute love and passion Georgia fans have for their institution that it seems like every once in a while you you hear of like students almost getting a master's degree because they want another year of football. So oh, yeah. it's an amazing fan. Base. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, I have quite a few friends that have uh, done that. There's also the Victory Lap, um which is the year five students maybe should have graduated in four years and spaced out classes a little bit and took maybe just enough hours to be a full-time student but not quite enough to graduate in order to get that extra football season in Uh, which financially makes no sense it'd be make a lot more sense to just buy football tickets but especially people on scholarships they they definitely like to stretch it out and be there as long as they can and and uh go to the football games for free as long as they can
0: so just to set context how is the you know for for those out there that do not follow the bulldogs as passionately as yourself the last three seasons how has georgia done what have the seasons looked like
1: um so relative to georgia's history in my lifetime relative to the last 24 years of georgia football they've been three of the Like this three-year stretch has probably been among the greatest three-year stretches when you look at wins and losses, um, bowl appearances, and and the caliber of bowl games that are being played, um, the number of top 25 teams that are being beaten, and the record against top 25 opponents, as well as record against conference opponents and division opponents. So it's been a successful run in that sense. However, when I started the show, we were coming off – A national championship appearance Mm -hmm. and the sentiment among Georgia fans was that Georgia wasn't going anywhere that we were you know we lost a game we felt like we should have won in a national championship Um, we had the number one recruiting class coming in we had Justin Fields coming in and it's like wow you look at this same team you you add a guy like Justin Fields in a couple years keep getting and they've had number one recruiting class every year I've done the podcast
0: so so you started the
1: show in what was supposed to be a a
0: relatively down year?
1: Well, I, I wouldn't say that because you got a team coming off a national championship appearance. Right. Got a returning quarterback, turning offensive line. Yeah. Um, they did lose Nick Chubb and Sonny Michelle, but again, they had DeAndre Swift and Elijah Holyfield. So they still had two NFL running backs. Um, and then defensively is where they lost the most, but that's also where the coaching is strongest. Um, and I certainly think. That uh, that defense was fine, and I mean that team almost made the playoff. They they lost in a heartbreak in the SEC championship, where they blew a, a double digit lead in the fourth quarter. Um, and so it wasn't a down year.
0: Well, down years relative, right? right. It was down. It, it was
1: better than every year except the year before it, and so it felt like a down year. But other than that year, it was a great year.
0: Well, what was the? Uh... What's the general expectation versus the actual performance? Maybe we have to look at. It I mean, that, definitely, it
1: expectation after 2017 uh, in the 2018 national championship game was George is going to be back. They're going to be a Clemson, an Alabama. They're going to be in the playoff every year. And at some point, when you're in the playoff every year, at some point whether you have the reputation of blowing it or not cuz Clemson used to have that reputation at some point especially when you have the talent Georgia has you catch a break and you win one and you get over the hump and in college sports success breeds success and it, so that 2017 2017 season felt like us getting over the hump as far as now we're getting number one classes now we're in a position where success breeds success we're attracting when we lose coaches you know we're attracting really good coordinators we're you know we're we're going to be at bama that was kind of the fan base's uh, mindset going into it, and so even that next year is like we made the SEC championship game, and we we blew a game against an Alabama team that went on to make the national championship. Um, and so it, it felt like we were there, but it's like it's gotten slightly worse every year as far as Georgia's output to the point where there are some fans now, and some fans. This is not the majority opinion. There are some fans that think. That the current head coach is never going to get it done. That um, he's never going to get over that hump.
0: Okay. So what is the what does the arc look like? So you you started the podcast after sort of a I don't want to say a historical high or to me maybe the historical high for Georgia football is Herschel Walker winning a national right, championship. Right. But in the <laughs> in recent let modern era, yeah. <laughs> uh, in the modern in the recent era. What's been the arc of the podcast relative to the arc of? I, I get what you're saying in terms of how the fan base has evolved. From it's very quick, it's a very quick process to go from we're up and coming to we are going to be the dominant next Alabama to starting to you know I, I would guess you got some yahoos that want the coach moved on, you know to want to move on from the the most successful Georgia coach since Vince Dooley perhaps. Mm-hmm. So what does the arc of the podcast look like compared to the arc of the team?
1: Yeah, it's really like on a weekly basis. So for the season to season, like honestly, it's grown because I've grown the show. Like I started from scratch and you know, my first guests were fans, were guys that painted up or that that were well known for for their fandom. Um and kind of slowly started bringing on players and then bigger players and bigger players. And so like in the one sense, it's like the bigger the guests, the bigger the audience. Um, And it definitely like that reflects with when I'm reaching out, trying to get someone to, you know, support the show uh, to sponsor it in return for me promoting their business. They know that, you know, when Thomas Davis or Benjamin Watson's coming on, like they're going to get their money's worth. Or if it's someone lesser known um, on a national scale, they're more hesitant too. So it's it's a lot easier in those senses. But the biggest thing is whether Georgia's in a position to win a national championship or when they control their own destiny. The moment they don't control their own destiny, um, the numbers drastically drop. Every season Um, and been fortunate where Georgia's controlled their destiny for the majority of the season, uh, all three seasons. But this year, for example, when Georgia lost to Florida, they were essentially eliminated from the playoff at that point. And it's like, for me, it was kind of a weird spot because we got four games left and, uh, that's what anyone wants to hear about. They, I mean, that's kind of what the show's been about is like, all right, what, what's it going to take? And now it's like, we're a year away. Um, at least. And so that's where it's, it's dropped off the most. Um, and again, that's been consistent from year to year, but this year's different because Georgia's not in a position. Last year, everyone knew Georgia wasn't going to do it, but we were still in a position where technically it was like, well, if we beat LSU in the SEC championship, we're going to the playoff. This year, there is no well, SEC me, championship for Georgia.
0: Let me, let me let me sort of break this into two pieces because yeah. I, I definitely want to talk about this, this last year. Um, So what I'm hearing is that the show, okay, so there's probably multiple things going on with the show. And I think these are all important in terms of this underlying lessons about fandom, that the show is growing over time, right? As you get more established, the Savage Pads brand is better known Mm -hmm. and and it grows, right? right? That... And then when you have a key guest, a famous guest, someone with a big brand, you also see a spike on that episode. Yeah. But beyond that, it sounds like there's a trend that as long as Georgia's competing, when Georgia is on sort of the upswing in terms of the college football power rankings, that the audience almost grows from week to week. And then if somehow you drop out of contention, then you see a step function Mm -hmm. where interest drops yeah is that a fair way to look at yeah, it? yeah
1: absolutely i think that's uh i think that's very fair i think with like bringing on guests and you mentioned their brands and there's sp- there's spikes but there is some i mean there, there's a number of people every time that they're listening to the podcast to listen to benjamin watson speak Mm -hmm. um, and then they're like wow i really like this podcast i'm gonna start listening to this every week i'm gonna subscribe and so yeah it's growing every week uh, in part because of the guest but like you said there's that step function drop when george is out of contention um, and it's pretty significant and it, it it's like it's no different than you know in the office place by the water cooler at the beginning of the football season, everyone's talking about their team. Everyone's saying, yeah, like we got this quarterback, you know, we got this transfer kid coming in. We got this and that, this freshman that's really going to change things for us. And man, we got this new coordinator on this side of the ball. Um, You hear it from every fan base and in the SEC at least. And as the season goes on, it gets to where like you hardly hear anything from anybody because they're not excited. And they're just like, yeah, at this point, it's not worth investing my time and energy into because there's only so far they can go and it doesn't even match like there, as far as they can go doesn't match my preseason expectations for the team or hopes for the team. So it's already a loss, you know, it's a lost season in the eyes of a lot of fans
0: yeah the word that comes to mind as you go through that is hope and when hope is when hope is growing the audience grows when hope is dashed well some people take a step back yeah
1: no it's all it's all about hope that is uh probably the best way to summarize it because like i said even last year georgia was not very good they were a one loss team and they were technically in control of their own destiny going into the later half of the season and going into the LSU game where you had Joe Burrow and an offense that had um, historically great output going up against a, a Georgia defense that had been good, but a Georgia offense that couldn't do anything against anybody, it seemed. Um, and Georgia fans felt like, hey, we, you know, we've got a chance and like, I'm going to spend $300 to go to this game and I'm going to listen to every Georgia podcast this week to kind of get in my head all the different ways we could win the game and, and kind of foster that hope. People love to foster hope. I have learned that as well as far as <laughs> speaking on the team. Nobody wants to hear... Uh, I'll, I'll get criticized on, on social media if I'm being a realist as far as like, you know, after, like last season, for example, if I had said everyone knows this Georgia team isn't going to do it, um, people would have called me out for not being a real fan. Um, and, and that happens to a guy like David Pollock all the time, who is truly a fan and who is truly somewhat biased to Georgia when you hear him speak, um, but a lot of Georgia fans hate him because he'll say things like that because he's a realist and he understands what's going on, uh, but if you're not fostering hope, if you're ticking off a, a chunk of the fan base and it's like they want hope, honestly, it's more fun to to have hope and to... to f- convince yourself that your team can do it and that this could be the year and so it's it is a funny situation when all of a sudden hope is is off the table and you have to face the facts and uh people don't like it and people don't want to hear it
0: well it's it is a funny funny situation right can, sometimes when you if you're having that discussion about hope it makes me think about my I and sometimes hope becomes this very kind of perverted situation where you're almost hoping there's a defeat. So you can move on to the next coach. So let me, Hmm. let me ask you one last question on all this. So what's your, uh, and I'll make this excessively vague. You know, this last season has been a weird one in terms of fandom. um, So maybe something from this, this past year, but what have you learned and and maybe you've already answered this about the importance of hope, but anything else that you've learned about fandom And maybe it's nothing you think directly about, but now after doing this show for a while, anything you have learned about fandom and how it works over the course of the last three years?
1: I think doing this show um, and also doing my other show has given me a new perspective as far as like, I view it as a fandom and as a brand and, and all the rest um, i hope i'm not wrecking it for no you're not you're not it's just that like i didn't think of the georgia fan base um in a certain way before as i do now but i mean I, like we said i think the biggest thing is hope and um it's like people want to drink the kool-aid in a sense they want they want to just hear why their team is the best i mean it's the same as fox news and cnn it's like on the everybody wants to hear what they want to believe, whether it's true or not. They want to hear what they want to believe. Um, and it's the same with fan bases and sports. So we've, we've, again, we've drawn that parallel, um, between political followings followings and sports fandoms. And, um, I, I think this is another case or another, you know, area where that's the case. Um, something else as far as the Georgia fan base and, and tying that into fandom is the, um, I guess, I mean, the financial side of it's super interesting as far as like, I've seen the businesses, like, I've seen, you know, these sponsors I work with or try to work with sometimes, um, who like they make a ton of money when Georgia's doing well and they don't make any money when Georgia's not doing well. And looking, especially during COVID, the number of businesses that have been hit by it, people that maybe sponsored in the past that are like, hey, we're in a spot where we really, like, we can't spend any money, like, we're trying to stay in business. Um, and we're. I mean, I I get the sense that there's a lot of businesses that are that are not, (laughs) um, because of COVID, but also because of of Georgia not meeting their expectations and things of that nature. So, um, it's definitely like as much as like you want to always think our my fan base is the best fan base and we support our team win or lose. Um, there's definitely that there's always a huge chunk of fans that are super involved when the team is winning and couldn't care less you know not even watching the games or keeping up with it or knowing the players names um, when the team is, is not meeting their expectations. And so I think that's something that just looking at your like fandom studies and seeing the correlation. Uh, I, I will say this I, again. I think hope is the biggest thing we've talked about championships um, and how having a winning history, is a huge way to have a, a big brand you know, team and, and fan base. Um, a team like Georgia doesn't have the championships. They've got one. They've got one. I mean, they've got less than Georgia Tech down the road. Um, they've got less than quite a few schools. And yet, I think Georgia arguably has the, the most passionate fan base. I mean, there's they're certainly a top five, top 10 fan base in college football. And it's less about the past and more about what you know. The hope for what can be done, and the everyone feels like we should be in Alabama. We have all these resources, and it's just a matter of time. We're a sleeping giant, and like there's this like perennial hope every season that this is going to be the year. Or even at this point, like on the show, people um, want to talk about you know next year and talk about well we got this quarterback now, and you know what could he do, and and so it's it's hope is the theme of this episode um but and i'm not just saying this because of that um it's truly what unites the georgia fan base and what drives some of the craziness that that you see from sports fans
0: yeah i think that's a you know i'm I'm gonna add one other word to it this is the uh hope and authenticity episode uh look I, i like what you said because it it's also clear that as you talk about Georgia football, that your passion truly comes out in all this. So nice. Um, uh, I think very nice a uh, very nice summary. Okay, so as we wrap up this week, anything you are looking forward to? Just want to throw out a go, dogs.
1: <laughs> yeah, we got a Georgia game that was postponed earlier in the season. Oh, here's another thing that puts me in a weird spot. So I do an episode for Georgia-Missouri and Georgia-Vanderbilt. Like I do a whole episode like this we talk about the game, talk about last week's game, et cetera, um, and then the game gets canceled, and then it gets postponed to a later date, and now I'm like, okay, do I do this again about the same game, or do I repost the old episode, even though there's a little bit of new information since then, as far as players that are available or whatnot, uh, it's it's a weird, weird season to be co- like covering a team um, specifically, and so... Yeah, there's a Georgia game this week, I think. Uh, Mandalorians, great right now. So those are my two things this week. Uh, NBA is sneaking up on us, which is wild, but it's right around the corner. So that, that's something else that you know me. I'm I'm pretty excited about. So go yep. dogs, um, go baby Yoda, and yep. go basketball. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, and I'll end this by saying, you know. If you've ever rooted against Duke, hit the subscribe button. Go Illini!